given Nike's position in all of this, acquiring RTFKT, do you pronounce it RECT? Is that how I meant to say it? Maybe not. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, artifact. Arti- oh, artifact. Okay, that... Embarrassing. Well, sorry, why everyone. Why do they do this? Artifact. That's not really, even really bad. That's our bad. We should have done some basic research. Really bad. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. They looked at each other. They said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. It's the Small Time Bets podcast. Did you see who won person of the year? Yeah, it's Elon Musk. Legend, troll, spaceman. Did you read the article from Time? I don't think I've... Is it behind a paywall? Mine wasn't, but no. It's a long, interesting perspective. It's kind of weird. You know, I've gone through this cycle with Elon where initially when he was lesser known... In fact, you were the one who used to go on and on about Elon Musk before anyone had heard of him. And it was like, who is this one? He's like, he's going to be very important one day. He's like, oh, interesting. And then I started really paying attention to him and I read the biography by Ashley Vance called Elon Musk, which is just, you know, one of the few people who's got access to him and had his permission to write a biography, which is very interesting. Very interesting life. Fascinating, controversial, incredibly intelligent person. But then this past year, his his level of troll behaviour and almost like, level of hubris that he's just become associated with has just gone to a point where I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with him, where if you could just block out him and only look at his achievements that he's related to, it would be a really amazing story. But you just kind of, you can't separate the weird, eccentric, at some points, horrid creature that he's become from what are absolutely incredible feats for humankind. Yeah, and it's more than just trolling tweets. It's bullying behaviour at work. It's bullying behaviour towards random divers on Twitter. Yeah. He's now on presumably his third or fourth marriage. He's just finished his fourth marriage, right? So, yes. So he's achieved some things. And the things he's achieved is remarkable, right? So he, without Elon Musk taking Tesla on the journey through the Roadster, through the X, the Y, and the 3, he would not have shifted the entire auto OEM industry to rapidly electrify probably two decades earlier than it would have otherwise, if ever. It may, it may never have. It may never have. Right. And he Those... wouldn't have done that. So he single-handedly moved an entire industry to decarbonize. How do you approach an industry that has been doing this thing for 100 years, but then show them off of a ground starting point of zero, that you can get to production faster and then suddenly get to a market cap bigger than the top three combined. This is what people... It was covered a little bit in the biography, actually. People underestimate his understanding of the theatre that we live in when it comes to financial markets. He really gets it. If there's one thing he gets, it's not rocket science or like, you know, electric motors or how digital payments work. It's He gets the kind of... Albert Camus absurdist style, a world that we live in now. And he really has embraced that. If you look at Tesla, what made it successful was his ability to just finance the crap out of every single idea for a company that made no money, was not making any more money or shipping more cars, was missing deadlines time after time after time. 
but he managed to keep the lights on. Some of it was serendipity and luck that the right things came through that helped him with his funding. Otherwise, it would have just been bought out by Google. But other parts was he just really understands how to get things financed and and use this weird financial market we live in to fund these operations in a publicly listed company. Becoming the first private space company to run missions for NASA shuttle runs to the ISS, the International Space Station, is an incredible coup. Again, starting from scratch. I think with both Tesla and SpaceX, in each case, the true founders who really put in the groundwork have been pushed sidelined from the limelight. And you kind of never really hear about the foundational work they've put in. He gets the reflected glory from PayPal that gave him the money as part of the PayPal mafia to fund all of this and, and actually get it going. But again, with PayPal, it never really did the things that he intended it to do. And it was a success kind of accidentally that he just happened to be near. Mm. So showmanship, absolutely. Setting a vision and driving people to that vision. Being a kind of leader who's prepared to sleep on the factory floor during hell week or production hell. Sure. Yeah, it's it's a mixture of the great and the horrible. I think Time Magazine described him as a a madcap hybrid of Thomas Edison, P.T. Barnum, Andrew Carnegie, and Watchmen's Dr. Manhattan. (laughs) Because in in the Watchmen uh, graphic novel, Dr. Manhattan invents electric cars and moves to Mars. So I see what they've done there. It's weird. It's a a really interesting read. Very long, but actually they take a vantage point that I probably would have bought into three, four years ago. It's harder now because I think because we're more involved in the crypto space, the markets, and some of the commentary that he's made around Dogecoin, Bitcoin, and everything else, I think it's hard to take all of his stuff as seriously because there are clearly knowledge gaps. You know, he's a very smart person, but smart in one field does not make smart in all. And that's starting to show through when he's dipping his hands into everything. And also, yeah, like you are saying, some really immoral behavior, which he doesn't get held up on. It's, it's awkward. It's, it's really awkward to kind of dodge that, you know, calling volunteer divers paedophiles in Thailand, breaking COVID protocols for your factory, endangering your workers, breaking down the unions for all the rights in your factories in Tesla, moving your plant away from where it is to basically evade regulation and tax and then the latest one of essentially trolling a whistleblower who's calling out problems with your company by issuing cybertruck shaped whistles it's just there's a lot of bad taste behavior that's childish and fans of him will love but it's just it's just a bit dirty isn't it it's it's not as clean a person to use as a role model anymore so these are the heroes of our age, right? Outsize egos, unbelievable power and wealth, and stratospheric heights at which there's few other people to hold you in check. And people have kind of linked, tried to kind of go back to his origins and talk about his father's decision to move to South Africa at a time when others wouldn't have. And there were all sorts of tales of techno-utopianism around, it's kind of defined the era of his childhood, the kind of sci-fi that he grew up with, and, and sort of tried to go from there to making his desire to make humanity a multi-planetary species, his visionary zeal when it comes to talking about the dangerously low birth rate of humanity and the fertility crisis. And that's what's given him the direction and the impetus to be who he can be. Okay, 
No, it really divided people as person of the year. Does his haircut remind you of, is it Biff out of Back to the Future 2? Or is it more like, or is it like a Bowie? Is he, is he trying to do Bowie? I can't tell what he's being. Because it's really high up, but then shaved undercut. But in, and it's, it's moody lighting. I can't tell who he's being. <laughs> so Microsoft. Microsoft? <laughs> yeah, Microsoft. How are, you, how, how are you feeling about Microsoft today? Have you had a good Microsoft day, a bad Microsoft day? So on Tuesday, something quite special happened. You started in Teams being able to reply to actual things. You can reply to an earlier thing and it like grabs it and pulls it down here. And it, obviously you used to be able to do that in, well, in every other chat or collaborative tool. So but that happened on Tuesday for Teams. Just to clarify, you could do that in the iOS app and I think on the Android app in Teams for over a year now. And what I used to do if I saw that and I was like, oh, so-and-so said something I need to, but there's loads of this commentary. I'll open up my iPhone, which is my work phone that has all the teams installed, scroll up, swipe to the right. It's like, oh, reply, reply. Then I'll jump back to the desktop one to continue. And at one point people are like, oh my God, how do you reply? How did you do it? I'm like, well, you've got an iPhone, Andy. <laughs> you, you can't do it here. You can't do it in a web browser. Weirdly enough, you can't do it on the platforms Microsoft owns end-to-end. <laughs> you can't do it on a Windows desktop app or an Edge browser running Teams. Nope. You can do it on an iPhone or an Android. And then suddenly it's available. And I was like, oh my God, this is a functionality that WhatsApp have had forever that basically every basic messaging app has that Teams somehow I don't know, it must have been on the backlog. Some I'm just imagining the situation where it's like the iOS team's like, yep, shipped, done. Android's like, oh, a little bit behind, yep, shipped, done. And then many sprints go by. <laughs> and there's like the desktop development team going, Oh, it's just really difficult, isn't it? What are we gonna, <laughs> how do we we can't we can't swipe right. We'll have to do like a right click. Maybe what should we do? Right click, reply. That's very hard. Who you got in developers with that skill? Nope. <laughs> I just I'm 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 baffled it took this long because all of the messaging has APIs anyone, are there, it, right? Has anyone been asking for it though? What, for the functionality that's available on all of the platforms? Yes. And I saw it and I realised there is a bit of a bug. So it's weird. I don't know if it's a bug or is it a feature? Hard to tell. So if you start typing and then you go up and you reply to something, it will yeah. put the reply on the desktop app, this is, it'll put the reply box, the quote box underneath or wherever no, really? your cursor is in the thing. Oh, no, So really? Yeah, yeah. So you can, which, that, I mean, that doesn't happen on any other device ever. So I, are they thinking it's like quote? So you can like write something and you then reply and it quotes them? I don't know. It seems more like a bug. I'm sure someone will claim it's a feature. I'm just over the moon that they've got a reply function finally. You saw how I was doing it. I would just um, screenshot the thing that I was trying to refer to and paste it in. That's that's one way. Not searchable, but um, yeah. It, it wasn't searchable, but also because of the way that Teams works and it's really memory intensive, it, it wouldn't always show the image after a while, like it would stop loading it like a bad GIF. That's really funny. I've been trying to set up some Teams sites similar to how I would set up a Discord. And I realized Teams is not Discord. Teams is light years away from anything that could be like discord or slack it's pretty horrific actually <laughs> like i i was impressed by this reply functionality i was like this is genuinely mind-blowing and there are some of the nice aspects of teams there's a lot of integration but it is a memory hog there's another really good thing that they've added which i 
fully applaud, which is in Outlook, when you paste a link from Teams to a file, it will do a bit of compute, bit of thinking, and then it will come up with the icon of the type yeah. of file and the name and of it. And the actual file name. Instead of just a hyperlink, that is genius. No, what it used to be was five lines of hyperlink that wasn't human legible. <laughs> but now it's just <laughs> so the they've file, changed right? it to be like something, yeah. And it's as if their product teams are talking to each other. It's as if it's a completely vertically integrated system. <laughs> where they literally... But, like, credit where it's due, that has been amazing. Because you used to just put in, yeah, this endless hyperlink. Or you just, you know, control K, add a hyperlink to whatever it is you're doing. But then it's just a lot of faffing around. And I was like, that's genius. So then in Teams, I was like, oh, you know what? I bet I can do that thing you do in Discord where you basically, like, write a thing explaining what all the channels do. And you just use the hashtag and then the name of the... Teams channel and it, uh, no, no hashtag does nothing in Teams. What you have to do is you have to rewrite out the name of the channel and then you have to highlight it and then you should go to edit text properties and advanced edit text properties and then add hyperlink, then insert hyperlink, then you paste the hyperlink of the other Teams channel, then you save it and then it hyperlinks the channel as if it was just the hashtag thing that Discord does in like a second. And I was like, you don't even have to invent this stuff. It's just done. Just go to Slack, go to Discord, hire some of their people who've done the thinking and just put this in. It's really simple stuff that would actually mean that you'd use Teams for more than essentially a Messenger app plus SharePoint, which is, I mean, being honest, that's what it is. It's conference calls, a Messenger app, and then a SharePoint file system. And I don't want it to be that because it could be so much more. So Microsoft, I know you're listening. All these ideas, just, just run with it. Maybe in like three years, we'll see that functionality come through on iOS only. <laughs> I mean, since we're on this topic, do you want to hear my four things I dislike about Microsoft? Go for it. <laughs> okay, thing one, no class. On the paid for laptops that people have paid money for, in the unlock screen, ads for raffles that you can take part in on Bing. No class. Look, Bing is a thing. You can't just like... They copied Google results to build Bing. They were caught. Point two. You know, they've got this aesthetic about letterboxing. It's not as bad as it used to be, but because of the way their org design works, the way that you advance your career in Microsoft mm. is that you, you... It's like org design-led product design. So you're just incentivized to add more to the ribbon and add more ribbons until the person who's using the product is just staring through a tiny letterbox at the actual product that they're trying to use. That's true. Three, competing empires in one product. So this isn't just Windows versus Office, and 26 years later, Control-F still doesn't work in Outlook. This is like <laughs> SharePoint spent 20 years in the wilderness because it was trying to be three things at the same time and occupy territory of those three areas so that other people couldn't muscle in. It was trying to be a repository. It was trying to be a collaboration platform. Hello, <laughs> hello, Teams. And it was trying to be a workflow tool all at the same time, and it did all of them badly. And Teams is recreating that same nightmare i hope it doesn't last 20 years and finally i dislike microsoft because they don't need to try <laughs> since 1985 they've had vendor lock-in and their buyers are enterprise it decision makers and the end users have been the lowest priority for 36 years the the, the i mean these are good these are good good reasons yeah i think that our problem is we're just too up close to the thing we're using we're using the products too much i think nobody intended for windows to actually be used so that's an interesting point. I think everyone talks about how much attention is paid to Instagram and TikTok and like social media stuff. But it's true for the majority of office workers, you are probably staring at office products, Microsoft products 
for the majority of your life in terms of the most popular app that you ever use. And so there is a lot of that where we are probably more picky because you have to do this stuff not just once or twice, but usually 10 times a day, five days a week, forever. And that's why you notice when there's no reply function in the desktop, but there is on a phone and you just wish you could live off a phone for all the time. But then you're like, you know. I have a theory that the people who wrote the Concur app, now acquired by SAP, for expenses capture, I, I think the people behind Concur have never been allowed to go out on a trip. (laughs) <laughs> and therefore, they've never had to do expenses ever, and they're not allowed to go on trips. And so uh, the product has suffered. I think it's time for uh, not a sponsor. It is. Have you got a not a sponsor for us? Yes, it's the Slice 100 Safety Cutter Ceramic Knife. Ooh. Only £5.90 pence in the UK, and probably about, say, $7. What does it do? Oh, let me start with a question. How do you open your Amazon parcels when they arrive? actual parcel shaped ones the boxes oh, the bigger boxes uh i usually use like a key maybe like some scissors uh if jen's around she has like just the strongest nails ever in the history of the planet so she can just like you're doing it wrong she just slices it with a, a flick, you're doing it wrong flick of a wrist and like everything's okay shredded. okay right well you so nail damage aside and the fact that these so these scissors are going to damage the innards and then Using a key is not advisable. So this product, what it is, it's got a tiny, tiny ceramic blade sticking out about a millimetre or half a millimetre. And basically, if you put it against your finger, it won't cut your finger, but it will open parcels and letters and all other kinds of packaging. It'll open it really well. And that's this week's Not A Sponsor. That's a, it's a box cutter, Doug. They used to give them to me when I worked at Marks & Spencer's. Yeah, that's what this is, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. They're really practical. If you're opening boxes all day, oh my God, are they useful? How many boxes do you... Yeah. Yeah, M&S. Yeah. So I think what it is, is I probably get a lot of stuff on Amazon. (laughs) So much so that you rival a job in retail. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That's a great not a sponsor. They are really practical. Uh, I will check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes. I think it's time for This Week in Crypto. This Week in Crypto. And... We need to keep it a tradition. I think market update. Well, this week in crypto, market update has seen Bitcoin start the week at about 48,000 US dollars, go up to about 50,000 US dollars. And now it's back down at, say, 46, 47. It's basically been at its lowest point, 45.6. And it's kind of stuck around in the zone between 45 and 50K. If you zoom out a bit, it's not broken out of the downward trend of the past month of gradually heading downwards from 60,000 down to 45,000. That's what Bitcoin's doing. The markets, meanwhile, whilst they look like they were recovering on Wednesday, they weren't. So overall, what's really happening is the Omicron, the Evergrande situation getting worse, the inflation woes and anxieties increasing and uh, it's been a horrible week in in stocks and shares in the UK to zoom into the UK on Tuesday the IMF said that the Bank of England should seriously raise its interest rates really think about that because of out of control inflation and then two days later in the meeting the Bank of England did raise its interest rates from 0.01 to 0.25 percent 
because inflation is now at 5% in the UK. And that's stated inflation, actual inflation is much higher. And that was this week in the markets. What do you think about the announcement from the Fed, Jerome Powell's Q&A session? The end of tapering? Uh, yeah, and the plan for next March, isn't it? So didn't they say that we should expect three rate hikes in 2022? The things I've read suggested that the announcement was very stark. But then in the Q&A, it was very like softly, softly. I think there was a sigh of relief after it in terms of like, at least you know now, like before there was a level of uncertainty, but I suspect now until March maybe a bit more risk on appetite is, is possible but then from March you're already going to start feeding it assuming the Fed don't change course if Omicron does end up leading to lockdowns and supply chain issues and other problems they may need to change course again yeah just a thought so you think more risk on between now and March I think we're underestimating Omicron this is going to sound insensitive but if we're underestimating Omicron and it does lead to lockdowns and all the things that I've described, the Fed reaction will probably be to inject liquidity, which is why the risk on appetite, if that mm. makes sense. And if it doesn't, the risk on appetite will be, well, we know exactly the situation up until March. So there's no new news. It's just more of the same, which is still the Fed adding to its balance sheet, still interest rates very low same old, same old, knowing that if they don't take that opportunity, March onward is going to be a lot tougher. I don't know, might be way off. Fair enough. This week, Congress invited some crypto folks to come and talk and answer questions. Did you watch any of it? This entire story passed me by. Really? I was going to put it in the thing last week, but there was just so much to cover. So it's Bitfury, Circle, Coinbase, FTX, Paxos, and the Stellar Development Foundation were meeting Congress, and this happened last week, by the way, on the 8th of December. The anticipation was, oh God, Congress generally ask stupid questions, especially to people who are like from tech. So big tech, Congress, that's going to be a bit of a conflict. They don't like crypto already. This is going to be a terrible setup. But actually, all the analysis I've heard about it was that it was generally positive discussion. Like it was actively talking about the right ways of regulating, the use of stable coins, how they can support innovation and provide the right framework for America to dominate as an innovation space for crypto. And you had people like Sam Bankman-Fried there. You had Circle and Paxos there. You know, Circle, who are responsible for USDC, along with Coinbase, who are also there, and Paxos, who have their own stable coin. They both put forward very interesting arguments for why it shouldn't just be banks that issue stable coins and that whilst they do need regulation, it makes sense to have these different issuers which are outside of the banking system, therefore making it even more stable in some ways because you're not just putting everything on the banking system. You're actually allowing both banks and other providers to do it under a sensible regulatory framework. So they were kind of positioning for that, as you would expect, right? But the reason I thought it was interesting as a kind of preamble is one of the things I wanted to ask you about is we talk about stable coins and the US dollar in comparison to like the Chinese digital yuan and the idea of CBDCs, so central bank digital currencies. But I, I wondered, maybe we're shifting away from a petrodollar, which is where the US dominate because of the petrodollar, to a crypto dollar. And that was one of the arguments made kind of between the lines in a lot of the discussion last week, is that this is really empowering for the US. Because if you step back and you just go, okay, 
what's the most popular CBDC? Well, okay, the most mature one is China because they have really a lot of trials on it. But then you went, what's the most popular stable coin, actual stable coin asset? It's 100% US dollar everywhere, not just the US, but the whole world is pretty much dollar back to this point when it comes to crypto. And I wondered maybe the US has gained a lot of stability in terms of its currency from the petrodollar and the the power that brings of being able to buy oil in it. I wonder whether it being the underlying currency backing crypto would mean long term that makes it even more stable. Yeah, and there's also at stake US's ability to lead in terms of financial innovation in this growing new market, right? So continuing to be the place where people are based to do decentralized finance projects, to do cryptocurrency activities, etc. So there's a lot at stake, specifically crypto dollar replacing the petrodollar. I want to go deeper on what you think you mean by petrodollar, because I think what you think you mean is that because the US mandated OPEC nations that all trades of oil would happen and must happen in the dollar, then therefore these oil-rich states' requirements to buy up US sovereign dollar bonds, the dollars and by extension the US has continuously shored up its position such that it can always print more dollars because it's self-sustained by the oil that's pulled out of the ground that's then required to be traded in dollars? Is that what you mean? And and if so, how do you then extend that analogy to the crypto dollar? Because it doesn't quite map across. So that is what I mean. And what I'm referring to is that shows up the US because there's a constant demand for dollars. That's just the state of where OPEC nations are in, right? They need dollars because of the oil trade. And it's different with the crypto dollar that would be a stable coin backed one. Apart from, if you imagine regulation coming in that says, okay, you can have USDC and all these other US dollar stable coins, but they need to be backed one to one with US dollars. Suddenly, expansion of that stable coin supply requires people to hold dollars. It just creates a demand for dollars. And we see all the time, you know, USDC, oh, so-and-so was minted. At the moment, there's a lot of skepticism around how much of that is backed by commercial papers or other assets or things that aren't US dollars. If it was regulated to a state where it was like, okay, you can have it, it needs to be at least 80% or 90% literal US dollar backed. That's serious demand. That's demand that actually outstrips petrodollar demand because globally right now, everything is denominated in dollars. I know there's a few other, you know, there's an Indonesian one, a Great British Pound one, and these other ones, but they're very, very small in terms of volume. The just Pretty much all of it is US dollar. So I just think if that does become so the through platform, regulatory oversight, adding confidence to dollar stable coins would just massively put huge foundations of strength under continuing the preeminence of the dollar as the global reserve currency. Yeah, yeah. I, on, I honestly think that hearing started to get people's minds ticking about what's mm. actually happening because there was right. so much resentment against crypto and so much you know people are worried about bitcoin and about libra which obviously started all this off the facebook competitor to the dollar but when they realized oh wait if we just make it essential that stablecoin issuers have to have a certain amount of actual us dollars suddenly i mean there's potentially the unlimited demand for dollars then that that need to be audited that need to be held in reserve that basically power the future digital currency of the world 
and it and it can run alongside Bitcoin. You can still have Bitcoin running in a lot of different places, but it would but it would kind of undermine the premise that Bitcoin would eventually replace fiat currencies because it would be difficult if the US dollar was the world's reserve currency, not just by name and by its connections to the global markets and to oil markets, but actually as a reserve mm. backing all stable coins. How do you think it should play out? Do you think it should, when you come to uh, USDC and Tether and all of these, should fractional reserve banking be allowed? Or are you going to be an advocate for full reserve banking? So every single USDC that's out there, every single stable coin has got a dollar in the bank standing behind it. And no commercial papers and no, you know, bonds and I no other stuff. I think it makes sense for stable coins to have one-to-one backing with US dollars. I just, I don't, anything else is profiteering by the stablecoin issuers and, and actually starts to enter into the factual reserve banking system that we already have, right? And I don't think that's their job. I think it's it's interesting because say the Fed issued Fedcoin or something, like a real US dollar Fedcoin, theoretically, there'd be a way of not just estimating the M1 money supply, you'd, you'd just know it. It'd just be like yeah. a, a lookup, right? Jonathan, it's time for this week in NFTs. So first thing, Nike acquiring RTFKT. I hadn't even heard of them before, but apparently they're a big deal. Yeah, I like the way that RTFKT introduced themselves. They say that we grew up playing Diablo, Half-Life, RuneScape, Minecraft, watching DBZ, Evangelion, Akira, Star Wars, collecting, trading and reselling Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon cards. And we then designed luxury retail stores, made iconic esports moments, created logos for hip-hop artists, directed movies and music videos, sold millions of CSGO and Dota skins, grew online communities to millions, disrupted fashion industries and created sneakers for legends. And then in January 2020, our small team decided to start doing some other stuff. And in one partnership with Fuocious, they sold 3 million worth of digital sneakers in under seven minutes. And uh, then last week, Rekt was acquired by Nike. So um, they've also made, because they previously did a raise with A16Z, they've got some entries in Horowitz sneakers that they've made as well, a limited edition metaverse sneakers. They've also made a nice line of CryptoPunk sneakers which is confusing because i didn't think that ip was relicensable from lava labs but uh, they they've done that and uh yeah it's all in the nike world now so there's one thing but aren't there other people in the metaverse making sneakers that resemble nike sneakers <laughs> 10 ktf who we spoke about last week the the sneakers they use are just remarkably similar in fact they're not they're identical to Nike Air Force One sneakers, which is bizarre, right? Because I'm sure if there was no agreement with Nike, there would be some sort of cease and desist. The Air Force One is so iconic for Nike. You know, Michael Jordan's first shoe, something that is just in every, whether it's hip hop video or fashion thing or limited release thing, Air Force Ones are just, they're it, right? Like Nelly did a song just about that shoe. Like it's a really iconic shoe, but they copied it. So it makes me think they got permission from Nike. And given Nike's position in all of this, acquiring RTFKT, do you pronounce it wrecked? Is that how I meant to say it? Maybe not. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, artifact. Arti- ah, artifact. Okay, that. Embarrassing. 
Well, Sorry, why everyone. Why do they do this? Artifacts. That's not really, really bad. That's our bad. We should have done some basic research. Really bad. Okay, so it's Artifact. Mm. Same trend we discussed a few weeks ago, right? All the brands, big brands, especially the ones in streetwear and sports brands, are just going mad about NFTs and metaverse things. And, you know, Nike did the whole sandbox one where they've got Nike Land or something. Now they've acquired, I've never heard of an Artifact before, a three-person company for however much un- undisclosed amount. It kind of is, there's a bit of a war going on now. Did you see the Adidas thing? That happened today. No, so this is um, Adidas doing an airdrop to Board Eight Yacht Club. Um, didn't I mention this to you before? But what actually is it? Well, you know, there was the oh Adidas Board Eight Yacht Club, some punks comet, and then some random person that you mentioned, all entering the metaverse. That was announced, but then today, I forget what time. I asked someone, I was like, what, what, what are, what's going on? What did I miss? And they were like, oh, it's the Adidas mint. Apparently, if you've got a Board Eight Yacht Club ape, not a mutant ape or a kennel club or whatever they're called. If you've got a board at your club, hey, you can go mint one. Speaking of NFTs, did you see that Bitwise, who's quite a big investment fund, they launched a new index fund specifically for accredited investors that tracks non-fungible tokens? So how does an index fund work when it's tracking NFTs? How would that work? So it would just buy some NFTs, so it's not tracking anything. It's it's an investment vehicle that is a portfolio of NFTs, right? So they will build a portfolio of NFTs of the top 10 NFT projects, basically. And you can invest, I think it's minimum $25,000, but then you can get access to this fund. And it's only for accredited investors who don't want to go through the faff of MetaMask and setting up wallets and buying and choosing the things that they want. They just want exposure to it, essentially. And it got me thinking like, so what what is an NFT? It's a verifiable, immutable record of digital ownership on a blockchain, right? And I think that's what's important here. It is actually a digital asset. I know it's pictures of punks or apes or silly things that people can joke about copy-pasting. But that's the point. It's a digital asset that they're now grouping together into index funds. And the reason why that's really interesting is because the one thing this space really needs is is liquidity. It's a very strange kind of odd collectible market and once you apply liquidity through either fractionalization or through this kind of like funds buying up floors of them or something you can start to see this grow as an asset class in a kind of weird weird way that wouldn't happen with fine art i don't think any funds exist for like 10 paintings from van gogh i don't know if that's a thing but you can see this being very very quickly adopted because it's so so easy to just do this all on a blockchain it's all connected you can just, oh, fund, pop these in there, have a multi-sig wallet, give people access to it, charge them a fee. Seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, the liquidity problem doesn't go away. I think it's what's going to stop the more sort of finance-minded and institutional players getting involved. It's portfolio diversification. That's what I'm trying to say. At the end of the day, people who aren't bothered by having a board ape as a profile picture, but realise there's a ton of money being made in the space and an asset class is forming, might want a tiny part of their portfolio allocated to the top 10 projects. Yeah, who cares? I don't care whether it's a punk or a squiggle or an ape or whatever the latest thing is. I just want this to give me some exposure to that space. And I think the liquidity thing is is there, right? If you have enough of these funds that are just hoarding these things, they don't need 
a sort of exit strategy, same way an individual investor would. They need to provide the fund. And then when people join the fund, they need to occasionally acquire new things to add to it. And when they exit, they need to then just list individual assets to, to reduce the size of the fund. Unless there's a mass exodus or mass entrance, they're kind of they're kind of fine, right? And people who are members of that fund, if anything, they're providing cash liquidity. They don't care about how that's allocated to which projects. They just want exposure. So I think I think this is really, really interesting because, you know, people talked about when Bitcoin was getting added to balance sheets of corporations and it was like a major thing. Say high net worth individuals are adding baskets of NFTs to their balance sheet. That's a really, really weird thing. Mm. That's a yeah. thing that a year ago would have been, you'd have to be high to be suggesting such mad stuff. And yet this is happening. And it's it's the beginning of what I think will be a general trend in this, of, of NFTs being recognized, not as just profile pictures for celebrities, but as a digital asset class. That's it. Mm. Or it could be peak bubble. We'll, we'll <laughs> or it could be peak. It, it, um, it could be both as well. It could definitely be peak bubble. And then, could be both. And then uh, who knows in years to come, right? It's time for CryptoPunk or CryptoFunk. CryptoPunk or CryptoFunk, returning to an old and trusted formula. Yes. So again, what you're doing is you're saying two NFTs and one of them's real, and uh, I have to decide which one it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, do you remember last week I talked about number 25, Solana Road? Yeah. And it was it was not real, but it was this idea that you could have like all the property stuff, but not the actual house. Well, imagine that. But actually, that wasn't last week. Yeah, Karen. Was that the week, it was before? week before last? Uh, Karen. Imagine that, but actually buying a piece of the property as an NFT. So with Maison Group, you get one square meter per NFT of a real property that they're building in Georgia and they're currently just excavating it. But when they're built, oh, you better be sure your NFT is going to be worth one square meter of one flat or one parking lot, or whatever you choose. Anyway, that's the first one. Oh, did I mention you can stake them too, to get 37% ARPY. Um, moving on. The second one is called Yeezus Walks. And this is linked to today's announcement, which is a virtual trainer NFT for the future Adidas metaverse of Kanye West's Yeezus shoes. You may... Um, be able to own the physical ones one day, a bit like what Wagmi-san says, although they've not committed to when that will be. Launched today after the Mint. I don't know whether it's part of the Mint, but Kanye was tweeting about it. So if you are successful, uh, 100 people will get airdropped the very special Yeezy trainer for Sandbox initially. Wow. 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 I mean, that one's obviously real, and the other one is the um, Crypto Funk. What, but, what, um, what if I tell so you about the other one? that there's 538 items. Yeah, it's really stupid because fractional ownership of a house in Georgia, I'm assuming the state of Georgia, not the country of Georgia, <laughs> fractional ownership of a meter of a house is legally difficult to handle in the deeds. You buy a and lot therefore, of them. Mm-hmm. And then you Legally, own... again, legally, it's hard enough to do part ownership within a help to buy mortgage <laughs> that's part owned and then sell that. The idea of handling the title deeds to a house that's fractionally owned by let's say 43 people uh, one of whom is in, now in entire control of all the garage space is is preposterous and it that's why that's the crypto it's, it's, funk it's the got, crypto punk it's got a gym 
and everything about concierge. Jesus Walks screams Kanye, and I want it, and I'm amazed that this happened. And but I believe it happened, so it's that is the crypto punk. It's got a swimming pool as well. And then I'd like you to just confirm a bit more about what, okay, okay, what I've okay, just okay. said. Fine, fine, you're right. Um, the uh, the Maison Group one is in fact the crypto punk, and Jesus walks. I invented. <laughs> it is the crypto funk. It is not real. I made that one up. You can totally buy one meter squared of Maison Group's development in Georgia. Uh, you can buy one meter squared of their parking lot of an apartment. You, there were 538 items on OpenSea with a 0.08 ETH floor. And you can indeed stake them, which they think will earn anywhere between 37% and 1,000%. It may just be a scam. Don't go there. But it exists. Jesus walks on the other hand. Uh, would be great if it did. And they should definitely call it that if they don't. Um, your turn. I'm sorry. You are so excited. <laughs> Absolutely You're probably crushed. the most excited by a fake a fake thing that we've done on this podcast. Absolutely crushed. <laughs> um, all right, the first one. I'm just really upset now. So if I sound downbeat, <laughs> fine. All right, the first one is, um, you know, like Boohoo, the fashion. Baby clothes, yeah. You know Boohoo, like Boohoo Man? I think I've seen the poster, yeah. So don't pretend you're not into this. So um, it's NFTs of that. So there's eight of them. It's clothes. There you go. That's the first one. The second one, it's an NFT, but there's only one of them. And it's an NFT of the Falcon 9 rocket. And Elon Musk gave it to Erdogan. There's only one. It's like an NFT. Sorry, gift. sorry. Wait, what? Elon, Elon Musk, Musk gave it to gave an NFT Erdogan. To the president Prime Minister of Turkey? Erdogan. Yeah, that's president right. President Erdogan? Yeah, that's who. A Falcon 9 NFT. This yeah. is madness. And Boohoo Man NFTs, there's eight of them. There's eight of them. Preposterous. So that doesn't make any sense, which neither does Elon. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Elon must have given an NFT to President Erdogan. That must be the crypto punk and Boohoo Man. I don't know even. I'm going to just pretend that doesn't exist. That must be the crypto funk. Are you sure? Yeah. Well, Jonathan Tipper. As it happens, the crypto punk, the real one, is the Boohoo Man, um, and the crypto funk is the uh, Falcon Nine NFT. So uh, Boohoo Man have made uh, eight three-dimensional uh, NFTs of clothes, and you can win them, and then you'll be airdrop them on uh, Polygon on OpenSea through Polygon. Um, Elon Musk didn't give President Erdogan an NFT of a Falcon 9 rocket, but at the launch event of the Turksat 5A launch on a Falcon 9, Erdogan gave Elon Musk an NFT of some satellite art made by 5,000 children. Oh, oh, oh my... You should have used that as your crypto punk. That's a really good one, instead of Boohoo Man. Doing some next level stuff. Your, your next level. Your role reversal. Okay, that's payback for the Jesus Walks one. I think you sounded so Dan B, it was hard to really tell what you already going for i'm sorry for depressing you <laughs> but i love your enthusiasm for this it's entertaining excellent pod Great thank pod. you jonathan speak to, Talk you, next to you next week started during lockdown needed something to do they looked at each other they said hey i like talking to you and so from a garden shed in a box room in west london they're discussing tech is drinking up
party. 